I've been working in this industry since 1988. I, I've never seen the like of this. We've never seen anything of this magnitude or of this duration. BC has always been a, a market that has been kind of expensive versus other markets in the Canadian setting, but you know, of late last year and a half, increases have been significant. If you're a supplier or a trade or a contractor and you've got one of these standard form CCDC or CCA contracts, it's fixed price. There's no relief on the face of it. You're kind of in a situation where you've got to plead for mercy. Hello and welcome to Inside Construction, a podcast from the British Columbia Construction Association. I'm your host, Chris Atchison, president of the BCCA. We're bringing you this podcast series as part of our advocacy work, seeking to highlight the key issues affecting employers in BC's construction industry. We'll meet industry insiders, stakeholders, and professionals who are committed to the construction sector and the topics that need our attention. With their help, we'll shed some light on what's working, what isn't, and how private and public sector stakeholders can come together to ensure BC's industry has what it needs to get the job done on time, on budget, and with the world-class outcomes we all expect. On the heels of the pandemic, the construction industry in BC faces yet another challenge, rapidly escalating costs in an unpredictable global market. The result is increased risk and dramatic uncertainty, especially for builders working under fixed-price contracts or pursuing projects proposed to be delivered on a fixed-price contract. Today, we'll be talking with experienced contractors and industry advisors to better understand the options and how to minimize contract risks. But first, I want to give some insight into what BC contractors are going through right now as they work to price and complete jobs. Here to help with that is Daniel Murphy, Vice President of Pre-Construction for Ellis Dawn. This is a very unique time, I would say, for the kind of new generation coming into construction. And what do you feel are the factors that drive this escalation? It's a number of factors. Where we see it coming Right now is more on the material side as opposed to the the labor side. There's definitely pressures on the on the labor side, which we can get into. But on the material side, that's where we're seeing real increase in cost. Initially, it seems to have been driven through the lockdowns associated with COVID and, and supply chain issues associated with that. And then more recently, the the war in Ukraine has obviously had had significant impact on the market. But it seems to be not only on the supply side, it's also on the demand side as well. There's just a lot of demand for uh, construction out on the market at the moment. You know, a lot of developers and public sector looking to build significant projects. The labor side, I think, is a whole different discussion. They were, we're essentially at like full employment in Canada and, and in many markets across the world. So there's no places to pull available labor from and st- labor and staff from like across the world. So Unless the mar- the overall market significantly slows down, that labor pool is not going to get any larger, and it seems to it, like it's going to be in, in significant demand over the next few years. So I, I look at those I look at those two things, and, and you know the material side coming off labor unclear, but it looks like it, there's going to be pressure there for a while. Maybe explain to the listener the dynamics that exist between 
the impacts that this has on the projects that you've already secured and the projects that you're intending to go after? For the projects we've secured, a lot of the work I work on is pre-construction. So in a lot of cases, developers want to bring us on early days in the design cycle to really comment and and provide value and, and budget and schedule and kind of keep them on track while the design's being developed. So in a lot of those cases, we're not necessarily locked into a a fixed price at that point in time. So there's flexibility to work with ownership and and address this escalation. Some of our our, our design build projects will get involved in a bit of a different scenario where we do actually lock in. So there's, you know, significantly more risk there. Um, On the construction management side, the challenge is a conversation we have with clients. So we present a budget beginning of say 2022 now we're presenting a new budget middle of 2022 and the price has gone up you know 10 15 percent and and suddenly the client's performa doesn't work because of the increasing in in construction costs there's a conversation that needs to be had and sometimes they feel like they're getting the short end of the stick but it's just really the reality of the market as a result daniel says there have been a lot of tough conversations with clients but there are some things the client and the builder can do if they work together and communicate. There is definitely harder conversations, more reluctance, slower decision-making, you know, willingness to be a bit more patient on when work is bought. So I, I think that's really one of, one of the things I, I feel optimistic about is the fact that we're not seeing projects just outright getting shelved on, on a significant basis yet. And what would you say, uh, where, where do you go to first when you're, when you're looking to reduce those budgets? What, what are some of the things that might get deprioritized from the initial scope? Yeah, I would say generally you don't want to cut program area out of buildings. Typically where we go is there opportunities to change materials and really maintain the, the look and feel that the architect uh, is going for. So I'd say that's probably the first kind of line of defense. There's also the procurement side of things. Does the client have a willingness to fund the project earlier? So when we go out to the market, it gives our trade partners an opportunity to secure their materials earlier so they don't have to price as much risk into the tender process. So who should bear the risk of these cost escalations? I would say it should be the group in the best position to manage that risk. And when I say manage, I mean manage from like a knowledge perspective and then manage from also a ability to to bear the brunt of a loss. Now let's hear from Randy Noble, Chief Estimator for Hula Electric, on the shared responsibility of all the project partners when it comes to managing project risk. I think ultimately in the ideal world, we are all partners, uh, the owners, the manufacturers, the suppliers, the contractors, we're all working towards the same goal. We want to complete the projects and we all want to go home at the end of the day. It's true that this is a complex ecosystem where all players are making unique and essential contributions. If one party is struggling and the project gets stalled, everyone pays the price. Like a lot of things, success often comes down to communication. I don't think that the contractors do anyone any justice if they're racing out there and and expecting to beat the owners over the head and for the owners to reach into their stone and pull some blood out and give it to them. It just isn't a realistic expectation. Uh, By the same token, you know, uh, suppliers and manufacturers, um, 
they need to be reasonable with the price increases that they're looking for, and they need to be supportive of the price increases that they are looking for. I think, you know, first and foremost, uh, we have to be forthright and honest. Um, you know, we have to be prepared to go to owners, to uh, developers, and be able to show them what it is that's causing us escalation cost issues. Um, you know, whether it's open book estimates and sharing quotes, you know, at uh, tender time quotes versus current time quotes with them, whether it's, it's you know, providing the backup information for what those cost indexes have done when it's base metals, when it's lumber. Are you finding that owners are receptive to have those discussions with general contractors or large trade contractors? Not with the, the bulk of the projects that we've been doing uh, actively, even, even with the public money. Um, you know, they're certainly willing to listen to the conversation, but uh, they only have a limited amount of resources they can get to. And, and once they've exhausted those resources, then they're not really prepared to, to come back to the table and discuss it any further. Um, there's a lot of owners, a lot of developers out there that don't have the knowledge. You know, uh, you watch the TV shows about contracting and it's, it's always the contractors that are ripping everybody off and they're buying the gold plated yachts and all the rest of it. Um, and and I, I worry that that is the perception of contractors that's out there. So educating the owners and the developers about the contracting world and, and the risks that we face and, you know, the realities. Randy says contractors are being more selective about which jobs they decide to take on than ever before. We're being more selective, but we're having less jobs to be selective from too. We all have families to feed. We, we all are optimists. I think if, if we weren't optimists, I don't think we'd be contractors. So uh, we, we all think that, that this problem is going to, going to fix itself and it will fix itself. Right. You know, like we will come back to a stability. We, there is already signs that we're starting to move back to a, a stable environment, but uh, it's not happening. I don't think as quick as anybody expected it would. I, I know I, I certainly, in the early days, my optimistic attitude was that, you know, the, the supply chain would kind of sort themselves out and, and we'd have a wrinkle for six, nine months kind of thing. And at that point, things would start to move back towards normal. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of factors out there that are continuing to impact the supply chain and, and will continue to hurt things. Daniel and Randy are longtime industry leaders and professionals, and their perspectives should be a reality check for any owners who think that they can simply power through this crisis that is building in BC's construction industry. On top of the supply chain disruption and cost escalations we're discussing today, there are many other issues, some unique to BC and of our own making, that are driving risk through the roof. If you're going through this, know that you're not alone but I realize that's a small comfort. Let's turn now to our industry advisors for guidance on how to navigate these turbulent waters. First, we'll hear from Vanessa Worden for the legal perspective. Vanessa is a partner at Jenkins Marsband Logan, LLP. A lot of my clients, whether it's trades, suppliers, contractors, and some of my owner clients as well, they're dealing with this onslaught of new challenges, having just sort of gotten over the, the new challenges or hurdles uh, posed by the pandemic. I asked Vanessa what issues she's seeing come across her desk. What I'm seeing come across my desk is parties who have entered into contracts that are 
you know, fixed price or lump sum or guaranteed maximum price. And now there are these really, uh, to a large extent, unforeseen cost escalation issues that are arising, and they're stuck. They're saying, how can I recover any sort of semblance of what I expected would be my profit? Now, the unfortunate advice a lot of the time is fixed price contracts are designed to provide cost certainty. And so if you've entered into a standard form contract like a CCDC or a CCA, those contracts do not provide any relief for price escalation or supply chain issues. Unless you've had maybe a really good lawyer who drafted some supplementary conditions for you that provide expressly for some form of relief in those circumstances, you're kind of going to be out of luck. So let me maybe tackle that typical scenario first. So if you're a supplier or a trade or a contractor and you've got one of these standard form CCDC or CCA contracts, it's fixed price. There's no relief on the face of it. What do you do? Um, The advice that I've been giving as of late is you're kind of in a situation where you've got to plead for mercy. You know, if you're in a situation where you've got to perform the work, there's no relief on the face of the contract, but you're in a jam. I think one of the best things you can do is have a transparent and candid discussion with the other party to your contract, whether that's an owner or a general contractor, and say, look, we're in this circumstance. I understand what the contract says, and the contract is designed to provide cost certainty. However, we are in new landscape that does not resemble the circumstances we were in when we entered into this contract, and we're hurting here. And what can we do? So have that discussion. Now, one sort of opportunity that might arise is under a delay claim. So if you are on a project where you have a fixed price contract or a lump sum contract, but the project schedule is being significantly delayed, the critical path is being impacted to the point that you can tie that critical path delay to your cost escalation. In other words, you didn't have an opportunity to order materials according to the previously anticipated timeline. If you can make those sorts of arguments and tie that delay, that is no fault of your own, uh, then if you can tie that to your cost escalation, there may be some avenue for recovery there. It's not too often I hear a lawyer suggesting the client plead for mercy. But that's really just a call for honest communication. This is the situation. Let's work together to fix it. And if you haven't entered into a contract yet, but you're presented with a fixed price or lump sum contract, you do have more options. The first thing you should do is call a lawyer and say, draft me a supplementary condition to this contract that allows for relief in particular circumstances. Um, Sometimes it's a cost-sharing provision so that if costs escalate beyond a certain point, there's a cost-sharing mechanism between whether it's the owner and the GC or the GC and the the subcontractor. So there is some some creativity that can be worked in there with supplementary conditions. Um, And so that's what I'm trying to do for a lot of my clients to say, you know, you've had these pickles, you've had these problems for future projects. What can we do so you don't end up in that spot again? How does force majeure factor into these discussions or does it at all? So there are two sort of types of force majeure. 
One is in a contract, you may have a clause, a force majeure clause that specifically provides for relief in certain circumstances that qualify as a force majeure. And sometimes those are, you know, um, characterized as acts of God or um, weather events or uh, war. And so if you have a contract in which force majeure is expressly defined as certain circumstances that give rise to a claim for relief, that's one thing. In my experience, the vast majority of contracts, if they have a force majeure clause, that clause is not going to capture the current economic circumstances. They are generally drafted towards specific events, and they generally do not capture um, sort of just fluctuations in market prices or, uh, you know, changes to the economy. So generally speaking, if you have a if you have a contract with a force majeure clause, it's probably not going to help you very much. The second sort of bucket of force majeure is common law. So there is a, a force majeure claim at common law, so developed through case law, and that is a very, very high threshold to achieve. You need uh, essentially five elements, unprecedented price increases. And so most people listening to this might say, well, check, unprecedented price increases, we have that. Then number two, you need a physical barrier to supply. Three, there needs to be a supervening event. So that's generally like uh, the war, the Russia-Ukraine war, for example, would qualify as a supervening event. Some might even argue that COVID uh, supply chain issues would qualify as a supervening event. The fourth element is you need to have investigated and exhausted all potential alternatives to fulfill your contractual obligations. And the fifth element is where most of my clients get hung up. The fifth element is the financial impact of performance within the force majeure of what you're saying is the force majeure event must be catastrophic. In other words, you're talking insolvency bankruptcy, uh, you know, closing your doors and it, it, devastating impact. So unless you can clearly meet those five criteria, you're probably not going to be able to advance a force majeure argument to get out of your contract. Vanessa stressed the importance of carefully reviewing a contract prior to signing to ensure it reasonably allocates risk and protects your business. Don't just sign and pray. You're operating in extreme market conditions and that calls for extreme diligence. Like Vanessa says, if you don't ask, you don't get. I know it's tempting. You know, you want the job. It's good work. You have the contract put in front of you. It's very tempting to say, ah, it's a CCDC. Sign it. Be done with it. Take the time to think about, does this form of contract adequately address the specific project and the specific needs of my company on this project? Are there any particular risks that might arise that aren't adequately addressed by the CCDC or the CCA contracts? They're well-drafted contracts. But what I caution my clients is just think about whether there are any particular issues or risks that you see to your company on this particular project that are not adequately addressed 
by the standard form contracts. And so supplemental conditions can help to sort of shore up some of those rights and obligations to protect your interests, both during performance of the construction and after. And I would say, always um, remember that, that, you know, contracts are negotiable for the most part, um, with the exception of, of certain circumstances. Contracts are negotiable. If you don't ask, you don't get. And I've drafted supplementals and changes to supplementals. And my clients go, you know, I really, I'll, I'll put this to the other party, but I really don't think it's going to fly. And then they're very surprised that, you know, certain things are accepted and acknowledged and changes are made and and they go off to the project in a much better position to protect their, their rights and their interests. So supplementaries can be a very powerful tool to make sure that if there are any particular risks or concerns that you foresee on a particular project, those are adequately addressed up front. Take a step back and look at the value that you intrinsically hold, right? You're, if, if you have certain experience or skills or reputation, that's valuable. Um, and so take a step back, look, look at your company, look at the projects that, that you've been engaged on and take advantage of relationships that you have to, to open those dialogues and have those conversations. Because what I always say is you don't ask, you don't get. So if you're in a in a tough spot, you know, there there might be some hope there, some glimmer of hope that, you know, you can you can recover from the current situation and, and carry on. What do you see happening in the next six months to a year, given the, the, the current climate that we're in? There's lots of work to be to be had, but I think if the province and if if owners want those projects built, uh, we need to see some, when I say we, I mean, you know, contractors, subtrades, we need to see some acknowledgement that the traditional risk allocation may not be something that is palatable um, for the time being, at least. It's an important point to make here. Contractors, suppliers, everyone is operating in an extremely challenging market, and that includes owners, both public and private sector. Showing diligence and a thorough understanding of risk during procurement and before a contract is signed helps ensure better outcomes for everyone involved in the job. I want to now turn to Katie Fairley, our Industry Standards and Practices Consultant here at BCCA. I asked her what advice she would give to the contracting community. I think on your existing contracts is read that contract. Um, you know, do you have any any mechanisms in your existing contract? Um, and if you're a trade contractor, likely the prime contract with the head contractor, is there any mechanism that exists in there that allows you uh, to, to come forward with the challenges that you're facing? I think even if that is not explicit in your contract, begin to have that conversation. You know, I'll, I'll tell the GC or the owner or the contract administrator or everybody the challenges that you're facing um, and providing information that would otherwise you would never think of sharing um, and providing that information so that they can understand the challenges that you're facing. And that is not something that I think comes naturally to a lot of construction businesses under a fixed price contract. You're typically not even um, required or expected to do that. But it, these are extraordinary circumstances. And I think the uh, what firms need to do 
to mitigate their impact are also going to need to be extraordinary and maybe even a little uncomfortable. I think the flip side of that, what can you do going forward? That one's not easier, but there's at least more flexibility. You're not tied into a, into a contract yet. And what role in future projects um, would negotiation have? What type of leverage might contractors have to be able to better negotiate a better deal? I think a lot of that depends on educating the owner group, educating the consultants or the contract administrators, the GCs on the challenges that are being faced. If you put in a fixed price you know, bid a year ago, I can guarantee it's not going to look the same now. So I think that that in terms of the negotiating power, it's going to be the role of creating a persuasive argument. And I, I would hope that no owner is in the business of putting contractors out of business, but that might also be something uh, to share is the pain that you're going through. That comment from Katie reminds me of Vanessa's beg for mercy advice. Contractors aren't typically considered proactive or open communicators. We keep hearing how important information sharing is, and I didn't want to let Katie's comments pass without making that point again. I think it's also showing, here's what we've tried so far. We've tried to mitigate the the cost or the delays. These are all the steps we've taken. And now as a last resort, you know, we are coming to you asking for help. Risk is certainly a primary concern for all involved. In your opinion, who should bear the risk of this cost escalation? When prices have gone up 10, 20, 30%, I look to the owner at that point to say, this is the risk you bear when trying to improve or when you are improving your asset. I think that there, you could look at certain aspects of that risk, maybe labor costs, um, you know, the cost to exist on site as some costs that are within the control, relatively speaking, of those construction firms. And maybe that is a risk that they continue to hold on to. But the, the runaway uh, price volatility, cost escalations, the challenges that exist in the marketplace, I would look to the owner to not just, you know, pound the table and say, no, you signed that contract. It's their asset at the end of the day that they get to benefit from. In this climate where contractors may be thinking long and hard about who they should be working with, Katie says owners should keep a few things in mind. I think that if you're speaking to uh, or about government, uh, buyers of construction services, owners, it would be looking at their procurement processes. You know, are they fair, open, and transparent? I think the other second point to that is looking at their contract clauses. How much risk are they shifting onto the private sector uh, in a time where they are ill-equipped to bear that risk or unwilling to accept it? Uh, I think those are probably the two key areas. I think the other, maybe the third one that isn't talked about as much is um, creating a culture within your organization, um, one that is friendly and understanding that contractors and suppliers and trade contractors play a vital role in building our province, building Canada, um, and building our communities, ultimately. And I think that a lot of this conversation can, can go back to those individual owner, project managers. Uh, you know, the executive directors of these projects to have an understanding of the challenges faced by industry. And, and that can, that, that's culture driven, most of all. Do you recall a time when things were uh, in balance more than they are right now? 
Um, I entered the industry when it was an owner's market where, uh, you know, there were multiple, multiple bids on pretty bad projects by anyone's measure in terms of risk and, you know, the nastiness of them and even who the owner was. So that was kind of my entry into construction was post 2008. Um, and then now we've existed in a, in a marketplace where it's the contractor's choice. And what I think maybe we're at right now is a, a horrible confluence of both of them where, you know, owners don't really have a choice. They need to build. They have infrastructure money flowing to them, but they can't afford to build. And the flip side of that is the contractors have enough work to still be choosy, but they are facing challenges really never seen in this industry. So what's the outcome of that? What do you see as being the the natural course that this is going to run based on uh, what we're currently experiencing? I don't know. I mean, it's projects not getting built, being canceled. I mean, we're hearing that from government that schools that were promised uh, are not going to be delivered. You know, I've heard stories of, let's say, small scale hospital improvement projects where they already have patients booked in. Like they are, they had a, a date. We are opening on this date. Folks were were booked in for these appointments, and the project's eight months. Delayed. I mean, that has an impact on our on our communities and directly on on the people living in them. From your experience in talking with our our counterparts to the east, are these problems that we're facing here are they universal across Canada, or are we a little bit more concentrated in British Columbia? Uh, everyone across Canada is facing this right now. This is not a unique to BC situation. Um, right across the country, uh, into the Maritimes and Atlantic Canada. This is the number one topic of conversation. Really, the potential, you know, kind of catastrophic um, impact to construction firms with what's been happening in the marketplace. But uh, you know, we're hearing you know different solutions out of Ontario and Quebec, but they're very narrowly focused and are not necessarily that one-size-fits-all silver bullet solution that I think everyone is looking for and expects. I think a lot of these challenges are going to have to be dealt with on a project-by-project, person-by-person basis. It's going to come down to conversations, like, you know, with the other person on the other side of the table. You know, certainly we're doing our part at the BC Construction Association to educate owners on how our industry works, how right now is so unprecedented. Katie's right. Here at BCCA, we are doing everything we can to educate all stakeholders across the industry on how to navigate current market conditions and avoid making things even worse in the coming months. Because as the risk factors continue to rise, many contractors are nearing the breaking point. Rather than layering on challenge after challenge, change after change, playing to ideology in the face of necessity, BC's 25,000 contractors and the 240,000 people who work for them need their provincial government to get back to the basics. I believe that with unprecedented levels of investment in public infrastructure comes a responsibility to strengthen the industry that's needed to build the infrastructure. Here are some actions from government that would help head off the failures that are looming on the near horizon. Number one, prioritize prompt payment legislation. Two, 
implement escalation clauses that allow reasonable flexibility in fixed price contracts. And three, require public owners to limit bid costing acceptance to a maximum of 30 days and incorporate cash allowances as even 30 days is not always possible. Yes, there is opportunity, but if that opportunity is going to cost you your business, your health, or your peace of mind, well, we've all learned a lot about balance in the past two years, and when the risks are so high that long-time successful contractors are questioning their future in the industry, we need to listen. Let's not take anything for granted. I'm Chris Atchison, President of the BC Construction Association. This has been Inside Construction. Inside Construction.